Uh, welcome to the Titus 2 woman. This is lesson number one. We have entitled this lesson, Time to Grow Up. We live in the last days, and in the beginning of days, it was prophesied that there would be enmity between woman, the woman's seed, and the enemy. And to this day, 6,000 years later, Satan still hates women. Uh, the Virgin Mary brought forth the Son of God, which was a partial fulfillment of the prophecy of Satan's judgment and destruction. And even to this day, Satan is still bitter and angry at that. Women are, uh, are built and created totally different than man was. Man was formed of the dust of the earth, but woman was built out of the rib of man. And so it makes woman a unique species, a unique specimen, different than the, the male, than the man. And for that reason, I believe women come under a special and a different kind of attack. But in saying all that, the Lord still has a tremendous requirement and a tremendous responsibility he places upon women. And if you are an American woman or a Western woman, uh, the Western culture has an especial hate for women. It created this thing called feminism. And feminism, uh, ironically enough, is anti-woman. Feminism is all about taking a woman and making her look and act and talk and sound like a man. Feminism even created the old song from yesteryear called Anything You Can Do, I Can Do Better. And for whatever reason, girls wanted to be just like boys and do it better. But you aren't, as a woman, made to be like a man. You were made to be a woman. And women have their own unique role, responsibility, their own unique burden, their own unique uh, creativity. And there are so many things women do that men could never do. And they're both equally necessary. But we've written this lesson on the Titus 2 woman to see a call and a comeuppance of the women of God. We don't have very many mature women in the body of Christ. A lot of the more popular women in the body of Christ usually end up being just a lot more Butch and Jezebel. Uh, the Bible teaches that women should be gracious. And I have a real hard problem, hard time listening to a female woman who, smells, who sounds like a chain smoker who is gruff and ends up bossing her husband around. It's not the proper model or pattern the Bible sets forth for women and their proper role in the kingdom, which is a very necessary and powerful role. Let's look at our lesson here as we begin to talk about the Titus 2 woman. Uh, most women are familiar with the Proverbs 31 passage on godly women. Uh, I think every woman who's done a Bible study has done a Proverbs 31 lesson. Proverbs 31 describes the work ethic God desires to see in his daughters. And if you know Proverbs 31, there are 16 or 17 verses there. And every one of them describe the woman as being busy at work. The Proverbs 31 woman is not a lazy woman at all. She is too busy taking territory, managing her home, and changing her community and her region. However, it should be noted, it is possible to have the Proverbs 31 work ethic without having a heart for God or without having righteousness or holiness. There are plenty of pagan women that are hard workers but don't know God at all. Proverbs 31 spells out the job description for a godly woman, but Titus 2, Titus chapter 2, spells out the character profile and godly lifestyle a handmaiden of the Lord is to attain to or ascribe to or, or strive for. These two passages combined give Christian women a high standard to strive for in their spiritual growth. I should add that between Proverbs 31 and Titus chapter 2, you have the kingdom's culture that every godly woman should try to emulate 
and model after. God is not interested in any nation's culture. God is not interested in any person's culture. God has given us the kingdom's culture. And if we don't ascend or aspire to the kingdom's culture, we'll be carnal Christians our entire life. This lesson, if you're a Westerner, is going to sound very sexist, very misogynistic, but this is not any of that. This is biblical. This is a biblical lesson taken from the Bible. And if this lesson offends you or grates on you in any way whatsoever, we have uncovered a sliver of lesbianism and feminism in your female Christian soul. And the solution's easy. Just repent and let God make you what he wants you to be and stop being so Westernized in your mindset. Be kingdomized. Be part of the kingdom of God. God expects his daughters to grow up. We should add for that matter, he expects his sons to grow up. But this lesson is aimed at the women of God. God expects his daughters to grow up as any good father would. In this generation of distractions, too many female Christians are not maturing. You can go to church, you can serve in church and still never change. And that's a horrible testimony. It's a horrible waste of time to go to the house of God and not change. It's like going to the fitness facility and never getting in shape. What are you really doing at that fitness club if you're never losing weight and never toning muscle? God expects all Christians to grow, develop, and aspire to some level of leadership in this kingdom, and that would include women. God can use every woman in in capacities of leadership. The Bible speaks to us of many mighty women who changed the course of Israel and Israel's history and that were used of God even in the New Testament. You have Deborah. you, You have Esther. You have Rahab the harlot. You have a Sapphira in the New Testament, Ananias' wife, the husband and wife apostolic team. You have Sister Phoebe in the book of Romans. You have Mother Mary, or Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ. You have Mary Magdalene, who I consider to be the first apostle Jesus Christ sent after the resurrection. The word apostle means sent one. And the very first person Jesus Christ gives a New Testament church age gospel assignment to is Mary Magdalene. And he told that woman, Go and tell my disciples, that would be Peter, James, and John, and the other nine, the other eight. Judas was dead by that point. He told her, he sent her to go preach to the apostles. I like that testimony. It shows that the first person God used after the resurrection was a woman hungry enough to be at the empty tomb. God wants every woman to aspire to some capacity of leadership. But to lead in this kingdom, you have to represent the kingdom's culture. Your gender and age do not exclude you from changing and transforming. Even if you're in a nursing home, you should be getting better spiritually. If you do not change with the Spirit of God, this final move of God will pass you by. And that is certainly not the will of God for your life. So let's ask ourselves some questions here. Here's some good self-evaluation questions that we are to ask ourselves, especially as a woman of God in these last days. Number one, what is the one thing in my life that hurts my Christian walk the most? Ask yourself that. What's the one thing you have working against you? And I might ask, what are you going to do about it? Number two, how long have you been battling this thing? Is it insecurity? Is it fear? Is it lust? Is it lesbianism? Is it Jezebel tendencies? Are you trying to usurp authority over your husband or your, your boss? What is the one thing? Is it your weight? Is it your appetites? What is that one thing? Is it your mouth? Number three, am I even battling it or do I just acknowledge it? It's one thing to know you have a problem. It's another thing to actually try to beat the problem. Number four, do I even want to change? If you know what the biggest problem in your life is, and if you're not doing anything about it, you are out of the will of God. 
It is not enough to confess your sin or to acknowledge it. You have to repent of it and replace it with the word of God. Number five, what scriptures combat this stronghold? Do you even know the scriptures that could help you get the victory over this area of weakness? Number six, what am I doing to gain the victory over this thing and change who I am? Are you going to do anything about it? Are you just going to acknowledge with a humble heart that you have a problem? Acknowledging you have a problem or an immature area of your life or a weakness, that's just the beginning. But if you don't do anything about it, you're not going to change. It's just like acknowledging, yes, I'm bleeding. Well, you're going to do something about it? No, I just kind of like bleeding. I have this cut. It's gushing blood. Well, hey, hey, you got a cut. It's gushing blood. Yes, I know that. I acknowledge that. Shouldn't you do something about it? I probably should, but I'm just too lazy. Then you're going to bleed all over your life spiritually. And it's going to be weird. Next point, am I aspiring to be a role model in the body of Christ? Every woman must, must, must aspire to be a role model in the body of Christ. Chances are you grew up in the kingdom looking up to a woman of God. And maybe you're older now and that woman has passed on or she's in a different church. You now must become that role model for that next young woman of God, that young lady in Christ who's looking for a godly woman to look up to. Maybe she didn't have a mother she could look up to. Maybe her mother's not saved. Maybe her mother's a a lukewarm Christian. It now becomes your job, ladies, to become a role model in the kingdom. And woe unto any woman that doesn't want to be a role model. You've got to be bigger than just your little self-address and your little kingdom. You have to aspire to greatness so that others might have an example to live by. If I'm not aspiring to be a role model, what are my aspirations and are they even biblical? The number one aspiration you should have in the kingdom is to be an example, to, to represent Jesus Christ. Your job is not even secondary. Your career might be tertiary or quaternary. That means number three and four on the list. Your number one job is to be with Jesus. Your number two job is to be a wonderful role model and represent Jesus Christ to those around you. And then the final point and question to ask yourself, when, if ever, will you get after it? The Bible says in Corinthians, behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Behold, I'll add this. Today is the day you've got to get after it. If you don't get after it today, you never will. And you'll die the same person you are today. And that's a shame. Christians should not die the same person they were in 2015, 2016, 2017, 2020. You need to be changing. When I die, if I don't see the rapture, I want to be different than I am today. And I want, it should be a good different, a better different. So let's look at the Titus 2 standard, because this is an oft overlooked passage. I think in America we overlook it because it has some pretty, quote, sexist statements And if you're a liberal progressive Christian, you're probably not a Christian at all. By liberal and progressive, I mean pagan in your mindset. A lot of liberal theologians want to say Paul was a misogynist. That means he hated women, that he was a sexist. He never married because he hated women and his writings prove it. But if you believe that all scripture is the flawless, God-breathed, God-inspired word of God, then Paul wasn't speaking for himself Paul was speaking for God Almighty. Therefore, Titus 2 is what God expects out of his daughters, not what a single man by the name of Paul expected. Titus 2 standard. Paul spelled out a high standard for Christian women in his epistle to Pastor Titus. Pastor Titus was over the church at Crete. He charged all of the ladies with the task of first growing up and then helping to raise up young female believers. Every woman of God, 
even if you're not called to be a missionary or a Bible teacher or a prophetess or whatever the going thing is, even if you're not called to full-time ministry, you're still called to help raise the standard and help raise up the next generation of female believers. That's your job. The commission is contained in four verses. These four verses, Titus 2, verses 2 through 5, will be our text for these lessons. As a pastor... I personally think it would be beneficial for every Christian woman to know, like the back of their hand, Proverbs 31, the 17 or so verses there, and then these four verses here. But between those 20, 21, 22 verses of Proverbs 31 and Titus chapter 2, if you knew those like the back of your hand, if you knew those like your last name and your social security number and your, your cell phone number, you would be awesome as a woman of God. You would be able to recall these things and let the word of God constantly wash you and judge you. That might be a good assignment for you as a woman of God. Study Proverbs 31 and Titus 2 and commit those verses and whatever translation helps you the most. Commit those verses to your heart and know them like the back of your hand. Be able to just pray them every day. If I was a woman, thank God I'm not, I'm glad to be a man, but if I was a, a woman, I would be praying the Proverbs 31 verses over myself every day. As it is, I'm a husband, and so quite often I will go through Proverbs 31 and I will pray every one of those verses over my wife. And once you pray those verses over your wife, then you get to the last two or three verses where it says, and she comes home and her family rises up and calls her blessed. Ladies, if you want to be blessed, you got to walk out Proverbs 31 and Titus chapter 2. And then when you come home, your family will rise up and call you blessed. They don't call you blessed because you come home. They call you blessed because you come home having accomplished Proverbs 31. Titus chapter 2 verse 3 says, the aged women... Now, age doesn't always necessarily mean old because you could be old and be of little value in the kingdom because you don't do anything. I pastor folks. Uh, the oldest member I ever pastored was in, she was in her 90s before we laid her body to rest. I think she passed away at 94 or 96. So I've pastored from 94, 96 all the way down to the newborns. And I can tell you just because you're aged doesn't mean you're of value or useful to the kingdom. Sometimes actually the older the saint in my church, the lazier they get. In America, we have this culture called retirement. And folks think that once they retire from their career, they can retire from serving in the house of God. And I, I want to tell you that God rejects that notion. Once you retire from your career, you now have more time to spend in the local house of God. If you're a retiree, you ought to be of greater value to your pastor than ever before. And if you're not, you're backslidden and you should repent to the Lord Jesus and your pastor and get after it. Because God has more for you to do than just garden all day. Look at great-grandchildren, grandchildren, and watch Andy Griffith and maybe Murder, She Wrote. You're called to do more than just retire and live off a pension. Get to the house of God and help. Aged here doesn't just mean numbers or years. It also means experience. It means promotion. You can be an elder in the house of God and be in your 30s. And you can be 80 years old in the house of God and be a baby Christian. The aged women, here's the charge to the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. So this commission is to the aged women, the Titus II woman, the leadership woman, the, the woman who has attained a position of leadership. Here is her job, her first description. And this is really what would, would qualify you as a, quote, aged woman or a mature woman, we might be more accurately in saying, is that she must be in behavior as becoming holiness. So the very first thing we see is that women must become holy. 
their behavior must become holy. I can tell you as a pastor, I don't appreciate seeing women's breasts through their skin-tight outfits. My personal judgment in this Western culture is that if your shirt is so tight that I can see where your breasts stop and your stomach starts, that is too tight a shirt. You should leave something to the imagination, unless, of course, you're full of lust and you want every man to check out your chest. If I can tell what cup size you are because your shirt is that tight, you are lustful and selfish and you need to repent because that's not holy behavior. Paul begins by addressing the mature woman. Would to God we'd have more of those in the body of Christ. It should come as no surprise there are biblical qualifiers you must meet before you can boast yourself a mature or elder woman of God. The word likewise here, remember verse 3 starts off saying likewise, the aged women likewise. This is a reference to the same qualities of mature men as referenced in verse 2. These qualities are listed here on page 2 of our curriculum. I'll read them to you real quick. Six words describe mature, holy behavior. Sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, sound in charity, sound in patience. These, of course, are the King James words, so let me give you the definitions. Mature women, uh, holy behavior looks like sobriety. That means to be vigilant, to practice restraint. I, I, the Lord has, have, has me emphasizing quite heavily the fruit of self-control. And it's not popular. It makes people uncomfortable and gets offended. But obesity is not acceptable in the body of Christ. Now, that's not to condemn you if you are obese. But you have a ninth fruit of the Spirit that ought to be an operation in your life. You don't have to have an operation to lose weight. You can operate the fruit of self-control and lose some weight. The Holy Ghost, now I'm not against an operation, do whatever you got to do to not die, but that's not God's best. God's best was to be, would be to be dependent upon the fruit of the Spirit called self-control. The word here is also reflected in sober. Obese Christians are not sober. They're drunk in that appetite of life. They, they're without restraint. The root word means to be calm and collected in attitude. I might also add sobriety or to practice restraint is, is also reflected in how you spend money. Folks that live in debt, financial debt, constant financial debt, they lack sobriety and self-control. So not just to pick on obese people, but to pick on indebted people. You need to have some self-control working in your life. The word means to be calm and collected in attitude. Uh, that means you have control of your emotions. When we say the word sober as Americans, we think of drunk. A drunk person is out of control. That's why they crash cars. That's why they slur speech. That's why they fall down. They're not in control of any of their faculties. They are drunk. But the King James use of sobriety is totally different. And that's what we want to focus on. Dispassionate is another definition here. When you're dispassionate, it means you're not influenced by strong emotions. And so you're able to be rational and impartial. The word also means to be sane. Mature women are sane. Immature women are always in their mind and their emotions over everything. They're, they're afraid everybody's against them. They live in constant fear they've offended somebody. And if somebody doesn't say hi to them, they, they fall apart because they wonder what's wrong. That's not a mature woman. That's an immature mind uh, abiding in a 60-year-old body. The second word is grave. That means responsible, serious, behavior that can and does demand respect. So a mature woman doesn't demand respect, but the way she carries herself can't help but demand respect. This is the word, I would say, classy or ladylike. We don't have very many ladies left in America. 
what we have is a bunch of carnal feminists, carnal, crass, vulgar language. Social media, I, I really consider social media to be nothing but an immature middle school for adults. Uh, the, the amount of selfies that aged women are taking or older women are taking is so embarrassing. It's almost like they're proud of their breasts and they're proud of their face and every picture looks the same and all they're doing is fishing for likes because they're so insecure. Apparently in their life they have no walk with Jesus Christ so they find value in posting another selfie and uh, waiting for the likes to roll in. If your value is tied up in the clicks on social media, I feel for you, you're immature and you need a deeper walk with Jesus Christ. You may do best if you just completely cut off social media, you're embarrassing yourself. My judgment is that social media is mostly an opinionated, narcissistic, immature middle school for grown-ups. That is middle, uh, that's uh, social media. The next word is temperate. It means chaste, discreet, self-controlled. Notice two words here now used to describe self-control, sober and uh, temperate. Twice now, mature people are, are described as having self-control in their life. The opposite of self-indulgent. American marketing is all about indulging yourself. The temperate Christian desires what she should, as she should, when she should. I don't have time to teach on this. I'm uh, under the command of God now to write a book about self-control. This is the word temperate. It's the Greek word sophronio or sophron. The Greek philosophers developed the definition for sophron or temperance. And they said the temperate person desires what they should, when they should, as they should. This means it requires both the wisdom of God and the ability of God, the wisdom of God to know what you should desire and the ability of God to know when and, and how you should desire it. This is what God is looking for in mature Christians. Mature Christians have a, a tight stronghold on their money. They have a grip on their appetites. They don't allow themselves to get out of weight. They don't allow themselves to get out of health. They don't allow themselves to worry. This flesh thing we've been given has to be mastered. One of the signs of maturity is you've mastered yourself or at least you know how to master yourself. Uh, fourth word, sound in faith, healthy and whole in the faith. Sound in charity, healthy and whole in the God kind of love. Sound in patience, healthy and whole in patience. That is the ability to remain under or to be submitted. These are words used to describe mature saints. And these are the words used to describe the Titus 2 woman. You've got to be sober, grave, temperate, and healthy and whole in your faith, your love, and your patience. And two out of the six, so one third of, of the description of a mature Christian has to do with self-control. Appetites you have reigned in that don't reign you in. These six traits help us to define what a spiritually mature woman's holy behavior should look like. Just as your age does not exempt you from needing Jesus Christ as Savior, your age does not exempt you from discipleship and change. Actually, the older you are in Christ, the more we should be able to expect out of you. The older you are, the, more, the greater demand we ought to be able to put on you. The older you are, the more demand we should be able to put on you. Actually, the older you are in Christ, the more we should be able to expect out of you. God is looking for holy handmaidens, not carnal dames. God is looking for holy handmaidens, not carnal, sensual, vulgar dames. Uh, you know, women who have carnal speak, women who have carnal desires, women who aren't faithful to the house of God, women who want to boss their husbands around, women who are more Jezebel than they are holy handmaiden. That's not what we need. That's what the world has. The Bible told the, the Paul told the Corinthians in first Corinthians, I want to speak unto you as spiritual, but I can't. I must address you as carnal for you're yet immature. There's strife among you. 
Yeah, we need holy handmaidens of God. So let's move on to this next section. Behavior as becometh holiness. Paul addresses behavior directly. Spirituality is not what you know. It's not your ability to speak in tongues. It's not your ability to prophesy or give a tongue and interpretation. Maturity is all about your behavior, your day-to-day life outside of church. Anybody can fake the show for one or two hours on a Sunday morning. But what does your daily behavior look like? A woman's behavior is vitally important. A woman is known and defined by how she acts. What you know about the Bible and its doctrines is of little worth if it isn't changing your behavior. We're not interested in playing the game on Sunday morning. We're interested in character and behavior the other six and a half days of the week. Titus 2.3 in the Amplified says, Bid the older women similarly to be reverent and devout in their deportment as becomes those engaged in sacred service. Those are some big words modern Americans don't know because our, def- our, our, our vocabulary has shrunk in the last 25 years as we text to communicate. I think in another 50 years, if the Lord doesn't come back, we'll be just using echoes and squeaks like dolphins and whales do because we're already shortening sentences and using smaller words. The Amplified says, Bid the older women similarly to be reverent and devout in their deportment as becomes those engaged in sacred service. A mature woman's behavior is to be defined by reverence and devotion for the things of God, not by carnality and crass, flippant tendencies. Deportment means your demeanor. As a woman of God, your whole demeanor should be holiness, not carnality. You shouldn't be known for your tattoos and your earrings and your tight clothing. That's, that's a poor deportment. That is not a lady. That's a clubbing tramp. When you look to tattoos, tight clothes, trendy fashions, and earrings and piercings in weird places, uh, that is not a lady. That is a 24-year-old who goes clubbing on the weekends. God have mercy on any pastor foolish enough to put those kind of people on their worship team. I don't know who you think you're helping because it isn't the body of Christ. Sadly enough, the reputation of the modern worship leader is the carnal, trendy person who can't quote scripture. (laughs) That is the reputation of the modern worship leader. The carnal, trendy person who can't quote scripture, but they can play an instrument. It's not what the Bible teaches, and I am determined to raise the gospel standard in this nation again, even if it leaves me alone and isolated. A a woman is known how she acts. Deportment means demeanor. What is your demeanor, ladies? Are you worthy of the title lady? Are you ladylike or more bulldog-like? And maybe bulldog, what about lady and the tramp? Now, tramp is a term, that's the old Disney movie. You had the lady, the dog, and then the tramp was the kind of the rough dog. Uh, a tramp, you had Charlie Chaplin's tramp. That was a famous movie Charlie Chaplin was in. A tramp used to be someone who was like a hobo. They, they went from place to place to place hopping trains. They, they tramped about. Now the word tramp has evolved, and so a tramp is a woman who hops from bed to bed to bed or guy to guy to guy. And so we could even say tramp. Do you dress and carry yourself like a tramp? I know that's an offensive word. It's not a dirty word. It is offensive, though, because no woman wants to be a tramp. Well, then quit acting like a tramp, and we won't think you're a tramp. Be a lady. The calling of God for every woman is to be a lady. I'm raising, my wife and I are raising two daughters. We're not raising them to be carnal. We're raising them to be holy, sensitive, tender-hearted Women of God. We don't want them to be like American women. I don't want my girls to be anything like the typical American woman. 
I want my daughters to be holy women of God. I'm not ashamed of America, but at the same time, I'm not proud of America either. The Titus 2 woman has a reverential demeanor. She is reverential towards the things of God. She's reverential towards her husband, her leadership, her home, etc. She's not some obnoxious, obtrusive, gesticulating feminist. Obtrusive, let me, again, the English vocabulary is so shrinking down before long, we'll just be going. Obtrusive means having or showing a disposition to obtrude as by imposing oneself or one's opinion on others. Again, social media shows how obtrusive so many folks are. Everybody on social media is just so opinionated. I tell our church, I'm not really interested in your opinion. It's not helping you any. Why do you think it'll help me? The word sobriety in the King James also means to be moderate as concerning your opinion. We'll actually look at that word here eventually in these lessons. A woman, a Titus 2 woman's calling is to be engaged in sacred service to the Lord Jesus Christ, not self-service. Isn't it amazing? Even the world calls pictures of yourself selfies. Timothy says in the last time, folks will be lovers of their own selves. Perilous times shall come for men shall be lovers of their own selves and not lovers of God. The word lover of your own self in the Greek means self-kissing. Isn't that, doesn't that describe the modern selfie that people put on Facebook and uh, Instagram? The selfie, the self-kissing carnal Christian. The prophetess Anna gives us a glimmer of what this can look like in Luke 2.37. She was a widow of about 84 years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. That's a woman of God. Not that you have to be a widow for 84 years but that you serve God with fastings and prayers and that you, you live around the house of God. Some Christian women are more interested in carnal buffoonery than anything resembling Anna's lifestyle. And the prophetess Anna got to see the Lord Jesus Christ as a babe before she passed away. Number three, not false accusers. Now this deals with the sins of the mouth. Paul addresses the subject of slander. Titus 2 women are not slanderers. Of course, then again, one of the greatest sins on Facebook is slander and gossip. This is the Greek word diabolos or devil. That's where the Latin conjugate comes up with diabolical. Uh, the Spanish word for devil is diablo. It comes from the Greek word diabolos or slanderer, accuser of the brethren. And they're always false accusations. Satan is the accuser of the brethren and the great slanderer. When a Christian woman slanders, she is channeling the spirit of Antichrist through her heart and mouth. Every time you as a woman slander or gossip or run something down, run the body of Christ down on your social media, I want you to know you are a medium. You are channeling a demon spirit. And if this were the Old Testament, we'd stone you and kill you and burn you with fire because that's what the Bible said to do with mediums or women that channeled demon spirits. Anytime you slander your pastor, slander your church leadership, slander your husband, slander your boss, you are channeling a demon spirit and you are not a Titus 2 woman. You are someone who needs to repent and come to the altar of God. Don't let Satan borrow your mouth, ladies. Men aren't so much slanderers. Or we, we can give in to it, but we don't do it quite like women do. That's one of the sins that's more predisposed to women than men. Men are more given over to lust. Men and women are created very differently. And because of that, we are given over to different weaknesses. 
Generally speaking, men struggle with lust. Generally speaking, men, uh, women struggle with sins of the mouth, mostly gossip and slander. Men don't sit around and gossip and henpeck. Men sit around and talk about hunting and fishing and, and a movie or sports. Uh, we, we, we put each other down, picking on each other. Women, you know, they talk about perfume and pretty things and, and their children, and, and uh, you know, then they get to gossiping. Men, we, we talk about sports, and then it degrades pretty quickly down to body noises and, and uh, you know, other weird manly things. To study the sinful tendency of a woman's mouth would take weeks, and we list there several scriptures worth studying. Number four, not given to much wine, or as the Amplified adds, not a slave to drink. I like that translation, because it gets you more than just wine, because you can say, well, it says not wine, so he doesn't mind if I drink malt liquor, or vodka, or gin and tonic. The Bible didn't say I couldn't drink beer. No, now you're looking for loopholes in the scripture to be carnal pagans. Not a slave to drink. That might even be milkshakes. That might even be Coca-Cola. That comes back to obesity and diabetes. There are things you can fix about your health just by having self-control working in your life. Cut sugar out of your diet. Cut your risk of heart disease. Our our nation's diet is killing our nation. And it doesn't have to be so if you could operate in some self-control. Though most Christian women are not slaves to drink, many are slaves to food in general. America is one-third obese, and it's on the increase. Not just the waistline, but the percentage is on the increase as well. So maybe we look beyond just alcohol in the body of Christ. Let's look at obesity. Not just a slave to drink, but slave to food. The Bible doesn't want you to be a slave to anything but Jesus Christ. This phrase addresses the control a Christian woman should exercise over her carnal appetites. Are you a slave to your appetites or are they a slave to you? Can you do without your comfort foods? I might add, do you eat to live or do you live to eat? Do you seek comfort in food? Because if you do, you're shortchanging the comforter who is the Holy Ghost. And how would it be towards your husband if every time you had a need, you didn't go to your husband, you went to some man, some other man? What about your children? Every time your children had a problem, they didn't come to mommy and daddy as they ought. They went to their friends or their teachers. It would hurt you. It would be betrayal. And I want you to hear me. This is a high standard, maybe very controversial or offensive. You should not have comfort food. You should have a comfort spirit called the Holy Ghost. How about this? Do you turn to your pet for comfort? Do you turn to your dog for comfort? Because if you do, by my judgment, Romans chapter 1 says you're worshiping the creation more than the creator. Your dog was never meant to be your comforter. The Holy Spirit of God was meant to be more real to you than anything else. I like something Brother Hagin used to say. He used to say, the Holy Spirit of God is more real to me than my own wife. The first time I heard that, I was a young man in college and single. I didn't have a wife, so I said, Lord, I like that. I pray that you're more real to me than even my own clothing. You're designed to get comfort, not from food, not from pets, not from romantic comedies, not from social media. You're designed to get comfort from the Spirit of God because He is the comforter. He is the paraclete, the one called together along with against the world. He is more real than your dog will ever be. When your dog dies, it goes to the pit. That's what Ecclesiastes says. When you die, you're supposed to go to heaven. So you should get used to the Holy Spirit now. The New Testament doesn't tell us what we can't eat. Technically, you can eat anything as long as you give thanks for it. It just says to let your moderation be known unto all men and to keep your body under 
approximately, I say, 200 pounds with a smiley face. 1 Corinthians 9.27, Paul said, I keep my body under, I beat it, I, I discipline it, lest after I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. The word castaway there is the word translated reprobate in other places. You can be a reprobate preacher. Because you preach, but you don't do what you preach. You preach the Bible, but you're overweight. You preach the Bible, but you're rotting your teeth out because you don't take care of your teeth. You're preaching the Bible, but you're up to your eyeballs in debt because you don't have self-control. Paul said, I keep my appetites under control so that I am not a reprobate even though I'm a preacher. There are many reprobate preachers in the land because they don't practice what they preach. Amen. Wine can also represent merriment, entertainment, and socializing. Some women can be overly caught up with social hindrances, running with the girls, racing the Joneses, mental escapism. Uh, The thing I'm dealing with now pastoring is how much folks are wasting time on social media. It's a false reality. There is not much real on social media. The pictures aren't real. They're not the first picture taken. They're about the 300th picture taken. Even the carnal women who are always posting selfies, they take 30 or 40 of them, then they throw about 30 filters on it just to really make it look good. And by the time they're done posting, it's not even real. It's all a facade. Oh, the, the studies, the um, uh, Harvard just released a study saying social media is actually bad for your health. And uh, every click, they did some kind of study. They said that every click represented a percent decline in mental health. I don't know how they measured that, but I just read that article this week on the news. Number five, teachers of good things. We're talking about the Titus 2 standard. Women, mature women ought to be teachers of good things. Teachers of good things. Paul concludes this verse with the subject of teaching. Recognize, ladies, that your lifestyle is a constant teacher. The way you live teaches others how you treat your husband and your children, how you talk, how you carry yourself, how you dress, etc. All of these things teach without requiring a classroom. How you live teaches others. I was playing on our bed with uh, my youngest daughter the other day and we were jumping. Well, we weren't jumping around. She was kind of jumping around. She's only three. And she knocked over some clothes that were folded on the bed and she stopped. She said, uh-oh. She said, I stop and I fold this washcloth so mommy don't get mad at me. She had learned that mother doesn't like it when mother folds clothing and Abigail knocks it over. Just by one interaction, my three-year-old caught the fact that I knocked these clothes over. Hold on, daddy, let me stop and fold this washcloth. And yes, our three-year-old knows how to fold clothing. She doesn't do it perfectly, but she, she can't fold sheets, but she can fold washcloths and dish towels and, and underwear and little shirts and whatnot. She stopped what we were doing playing and she folded up this little turquoise washcloth. She said, I don't want to make mommy hap- uh, unhappy. What you, how you live teaches your children. How you live teaches your husband. How you live teaches people who observe your lifestyle. Other women will look to you to learn, though they may never ask you a single question. What a burden of responsibility. I've observed pastoring that young girls, young women, college students, high school girls, they're they're always looking up to the older age-wise women in the church, and that doesn't mean they should. They think just because you're an older woman in the church, you have it all together. I would ask you, please don't let them down. You know you don't have it all together, but... That the 19-year-old young girl doesn't know that. The 25-year-old newlywed girl doesn't know that. The, 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 the 27-year-old new mother doesn't know you don't have it all together. But she looks to you and she thinks you have it all together. And she's modeling her life after you, lady. And make sure you don't let her down. You are being studied with eyes eager to learn. Don't be a teacher of bad things. 
Titus 2, 3 in the Amplified says, they are to give good counsel and be teachers of what is right and noble. The word noble means of exalted moral or mental character, excellence and lofty in nature. Women, you as women of God, you must be noble, of royal nobility. You're a child of the king. That means nobility. Carry yourself that way. The Amplified Bible uses the term good counsel, counsel, not carnal counsel, not carnal opinions. Your opinions don't help anybody. Give people the word. Give the people righteousness. Give people truth. Opinions are a dime a dozen. Opinions are like feet. Everybody's got them and they all stink but your own. Opinions are like bad breath. You never realize how bad your opinion is because you can't smell how stinky. You are to be teachers of right and noble things. This means you are a Christian. You as a Christian woman must not only be knowledgeable with what is right and noble, but you must also be living it out. If your lifestyle is not a good teacher, you don't need to bother opening your mouth to teach. You don't qualify. Your lifestyle is what qualifies you to be a teacher in the pulpit. You're not just your head knowledge, your lifestyle. I don't care what you know. In my church, I don't care what you know. If you don't live it, you're not getting in the pulpit. You're not even going to do a home Bible study that I'm going to approve of. Uh, I'm, I, you're probably fortunate just to stand in the parking lot and smile at people, but you're not getting the pulpit if your lifestyle isn't uh, satisfactory. If you can't submit to your husband, you'll never stand in the pulpit because the Lord won't allow you to sow rebellion into the lives of people. The Titus 2 woman is described with such adjectives as reverent, devout, and noble. This is the demeanor of a mature woman in Christ. This concludes a lesson in the qualifications of a mature woman of God. If you severely or even moderately lack these attributes in your life, please do not fancy yourself a leader or instructor, instructor in the things of God yet. We say yet. There's opportunity. There's, there's time to grow. But don't fancy yourself something if you, if you can't uh, say with all confidence that you have holy behavior that you have a tight rein on your mouth when it comes to gossip and slander, that you have control over your food appetites, whether it's drink or entertainment or social media. Don't fancy yourself a spiritual leader if your lifestyle isn't a good teacher of holy, devout, noble things. You will only risk reproducing your carnality in a developing Christian. And that's one of the things we as pastors fight. We fight carnality being replicated quicker than the kingdom can be replicated. I challenge you ladies to seek God. Don't desire to be an American woman. Desire to be a kingdom woman. Don't desire to be a westernized woman. Desire to be a handmaiden of the Bible, a handmaiden of God. Desire to emulate the kingdom and the Lord Jesus Christ. Make yourself of no reputation. You're not worried about what people think about how you dress. You dress modestly as women who profess godliness. Again, I'm gonna say it. If my personal judgment, my personal measure and metric, if I can see where your stomach stops and your breasts begin to move outward in their cup size, your shirt is too tight and you're not mature in the area of dress and demeanor. I don't know who taught you or why you think we want to see your breasts. We don't. Nobody's, hus nobody's wife wants their husband to be able to see your breasts. So dress a little bit more modest. It's not about your breasts. If you're coming to church to advertise your breasts, you're carnal and you're selfish and it's all about you. You should repent of that. You're not a Titus II woman. Uh, I would tell you what kind of woman you are, but it's probably not fit for recording. We're trying to encourage you on this thing. 
Be a Titus II woman. Realize it's your calling. God wants you to be something awesome in the kingdom. Let me pray for you. We're done with this lesson. Father, we thank you for the standard you've set forth for women in Titus 2 and Proverbs 31. I pray that every woman, every man, every child that listens to these lessons in the future will be challenged. The word of God would burn in their bosom, that they would say, I can do better. I want to do better. I want to be a man and woman of God. I pray for all my sisters in Christ. They would be spiritual and holy and not carnal and reprobate. Father, bless those that listen to these lessons in the future. In Jesus' name, amen.